Take your Bibles with me if you would please and open them to the book of Galatians chapter 4. Fourth chapter of the book of Galatians, a um, smaller New Testament letter written by the Apostle Paul. We will be in the fourth chapter. Now when I was a younger lad, uh, probably about fourth grade or so, I already had a desire within me to make things somewhat organized. I'm, I'm kind of um, particular about how things should be. Uh, EL is not here, but um, he could vouch for that. He often tries to sneak into my office and rearrange my books. It drives me crazy uh, because I have this desire within me for things to be how I think they need to be and, and just perfect. Well, that was already in me as a young guy, and I remember one specific time I decided I was going to clean out the garage and rearrange my dad's tools for him and his workstations and uh, all the things that matter to a man. And so I began to do that. I began to take all his tools and lay them out in the driveway and on tables, and uh, you probably know where this is going to end up, and thought I would sweep out where he stored all his stuff. A few minutes after doing that, some individual pulls up in our driveway and begins to take my dad's tools. He thought I was having a garage sale. Uh, and that terrified me as a little guy. And so I just ran into the house thinking he'd disappear, maybe he'd go away. My dad comes out and sees this guy taking his stuff and, and has to figure out what's going on. Um, and I was too embarrassed to even go back outside. My dad had to rearrange the garage by himself. I had done all this work and left him to, to finish my task. Uh, I had tried to make a difference for my dad, and uh, that's really what we come to look at today, difference makers. Uh, what does it mean, or, or who is that greatest difference maker? It's obviously our Lord, but we're, really within us all, we have a desire to be difference makers, don't we? We have a desire to leave a lasting legacy or an impact upon those around us, and you don't have to be a historian to realize that even history itself focuses upon difference makers. Those who have made an impact in some form or fashion upon uh, humanity or, or upon the, the centuries before us or the ages before us. They can make positive differences. They can make negative differences. But regardless, those difference makers um, in, in the line of humanity are the signposts or the mileposts of history. They're the, the focal points, the highlights, the, the reference points out of all the billions of people that have ever lived upon the earth and that live upon the earth even now, only a few are etched in our memories and etched in the history books and they are there because they have made a difference. Again, that can be positive or negative. They can start wars or they can bring peace. They can invent things or they can destroy things. They can contribute to humanity or they could be a stain upon humanity. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily matter the difference that they've brought about. As long as they've made a difference in some form or fashion, they are remembered and they are what we would regard as notable people in our past. Well, as I've said, no one has ever made the kind of difference that Jesus has made. In fact, just from a historical perspective, no one has had such a bearing or influence upon the history of humanity like our Lord. Many people have had high ambitions to pursue uh, such 
an impactful lifestyle. But nobody can measure and stand against Christ. And if we take the Scriptures into account, as we should regarding our Lord, no one has influenced humanity in the way Christ has, period. And that's because Christ has influenced humanity for eternity. Right. And not just in practical, outside, physical realms or matters. Christ has influenced the very core of humanity. Christ has made an impactful, lasting, eternal difference. As I was thinking through this text today and and the difference that Jesus brings about, I thought about Luke chapter 4 when Christ is in the synagogue in His hometown and they uh, bring Him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and He opens it up and finds a place where it's written and He reads this out loud in verse 18. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon Me because He has anointed Me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolls up the scroll and gives it back. And in verse 21, he stands and says, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your presence. No one has made the difference that Christ has made because nobody can really proclaim liberty to the captives. And yet Jesus says, that's the whole reason I came. To proclaim liberty to the captives. To set people free. To give them sight. I've come to make them alive. And in that regard, Jesus makes the most difference of anybody that has ever come and ever will come into humanity. If you're looking for someone who who you should follow, someone who has made an impact upon the world, someone notable and worth giving your attention to study, let me tell you, there is no one like Jesus. No one's made the difference He has. And as we continue our Christmas season study this year of looking at um, Jesus being sent, we can start or continue today by saying our Lord was sent to make a difference. And just by way of reminders, we talked about last week, we often think of Christ just uh, being born in this time of year or, or simply coming to earth. But Scripture uses a much more precise wording and a, and a precise language to refer to the birth of Christ. Scripture, primarily, its favorite designation for the, the Lord's coming is that He was sent. And that word sent implies purpose and direction and focus and diligence and drive and commitment. It also implies a sender and it applies a implies a plan and a mission. And that's exactly why Christ came. And that's exactly why Christ was sent. It's a a fruitful word, a wonderful word. And today it's the word we find in our text. And we find Paul says that Jesus was sent to make this innate uh, difference within us. A difference from the heart of who we are, the very core of our person, our very soul, our very nature. That's where Christ's difference takes place. He's not just someone who uh, has a philosophical viewpoint. He's not just someone with ideologies. He is someone who transforms. He's not just notable because he had a great following or, or because the political leaders of the day didn't like him. He's worth following and he's notable and he's a legacy of history because he takes away the old self and brings about the new self. Because everything about him deals with the heart. He's one who conforms. He's one who 
gives a fresh start and erases a sinful past. No other difference maker in history has done that, nor can they do that. Only Christ. And Paul says he was sent to make that difference, to bring about the difference in the life of a born-again, redeemed believer. And so that's what we focus on this morning. We can look at many other places for reasons of, of Christ's coming and the benefits of His birth and, and of being sent to us. But today we will look and see that He is sent to make a mighty difference in our lives. And as we walk through this passage this morning, we're going to see that uh, see the, the means by which He was sent. We're going to see the purpose for which He was sent and the difference that He makes in being sent to us. Look in Galatians chapter 4. And go ahead and just drop down to verse 4 because Paul is really making the point of the text in verses 4, 5, 6, and 7 here. A very familiar passage of Scripture, one in which we should all know for sure. He writes in verse 4 and he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let's first look in verse 4 at the means by which Christ was sent. And they are fundamentally important to understanding the mission and purpose of Christ. They're, they're there to protect the, uh, the plan of, of God and the, the means by which He sent is there to protect the purity of the plan of God. Three things is what Paul mentions in verse 4 regarding the way that Christ was sent to earth. First, he says he was sent in the fullness of time, which means he was sent according to God's plan. And one thing we talked about last week in the language of Christ being sent is that it implies initiative on God's part. It implies initiative on the part of the sender. It means that God is the authorship of all that Christ brings about. You realize that before we even knew we needed a Savior, a plan was in place to send Christ. That's what it means that our Lord is sent. And Paul is bringing this uh, idea up with the first phrase. He was sent in the fullness of time, really as God saw fit. He was sent according to the perfect plan and perfect timing of God. All the necessary things had come to a head to bring about this coming of our Lord. Which means Jesus didn't come earlier in the chronology of time. He came in the exact way, exact place, and exact time and exact date as God ordained. We know this to be true in several forms. Why, at least I think, why God had waited to send Christ to this perfect point of time. Why His birth was the fullness of time. First, obviously, all the prophecies were in place. And that's important not just so that they could point to Christ as evidence as He fulfilled them, but they were also there in existence to point to people before Him. There is one coming. And, and wait and trust in the promised plan of God, they were all in place and now Christ could be born to fulfill them. There are other factors that played in as God 
brought all creation to a head for the birth of Christ. As Rome had conquered most of the known world, there was actually a universal language. When Rome conquered a people, they required them to know and speak and understand Greek. Christ comes and He's born and He's now in a time where language is pretty universal and His message can go out relatively easily. Also, as the Romans conquered, they instituted a highway system and they paved roads and they made routes and they made express routes and trade routes. It was easy to travel. All of these things contribute to where we look at history and, and, and the prophecies of Scripture and we say, yes, God had a plan and God had a time and when the fullness of time had come, He sent His Son. And this phrase even of itself, it implies Patience on God's part. He was waiting for that perfect time. It implies precision on God's part. He had things He wanted to line up perfectly before Christ was to be sent. Which means that the whole coming of our Lord, God showed great detail on the occasion and great concern and great protection, and great attention. Everything of what the Lord had done and everything surrounding His birth had the diligent eye of the Lord upon every single detail. Christ didn't just come by coincidence. He didn't just come by happenstance. He didn't just trip into humanity. He didn't just decide wake up one day and think I'm just going to become a man today. He came according to the fullness of time came at the fullness of time according to the full plan of God. The second thing Paul says in regards to how the Lord was sent, he says he was born of woman. Rather important statement in regards to the plan and purpose of Christ. It also fulfills prophecy. We can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. The seed of woman will crush the head of the serpent. There's the, the first indication of one coming. We can go to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, where there's a sign that's going to come, and it's going to be that one is born of a virgin. She's going to conceive and bring forth a son. Born of woman means God was fulfilling all that He foretold about the coming of the Lord. But the fact that He was born of a woman also has theological implications to it. First, it means he wasn't born of man. That was the common language of the day. Someone came from the lineage of their father, the family of their father. But Jesus didn't come from the lineage of his father. He came from woman. He didn't have the seed of man pass through him. The sinful seed that corrupts us all at birth wasn't in Christ. He was born of a virgin, born of a woman. But I think even perhaps greater theological implication is the fact that Paul needs to mention it at all that he was born of woman. Isn't that common news? We're all born of women. Only Adam and Eve have existed that haven't come from the womb of a woman. Why tell us something so common? It's because Jesus is not like every other common man. Jesus was, again, sent, which implies that He came from a place. And how did He come from that place? He came in the very ordinary common means of a child's birth. He identifies with us. He was born as a man. 
He has eternal existence and he possesses divinity. And yet the unmistakable conclusion that Paul is drawing here is that God sent forth his son just like the rest of us. The great Lord of glory is found humbled here. We can even consider his birth, right? It is not surrounded by Christmas music and is not surrounded by animals who are bowing down and homage to him and is not surrounded by Christmas lights and and pictures of beauty and glory in the manger. It's surrounded by filth. It's surrounded by humility. It's surrounded by poverty. It's quiet. It's unknown. Many, many people are asleep while the Savior of the world is being born. Very few have the proclamation given to them that today the King of the universe has entered into humanity. The very fact that Paul tells us he's born of woman isn't just to be redundant because we're all born of woman. He's pointing out the significance of the divine Son of God being sent through the very common, ordinary means of childbirth so that, Philippians chapter 2, He might be made like us. There is no greater way we see that than in the extent of His birth. You wonder if Christ was fully God and fully man? Look at how He entered into humanity. Just like the rest of us. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 sheds even greater theological implications and, and greater light on the issue of Him being born of a woman. In Hebrews chapter 2, the writer says this in verse 17. He had to be made like His brothers in every respect so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiations for the sins of the people. That's really the crux of the matter. Christ was born of woman so that He could be made like us in every respect and be the sacrifice for us that was necessary and needed. You see, the the way in which Christ was sent to the earth is as fundamental as anything else regarding the life and ministry of Christ. He was made a man that He might be sacrificed for men. Thirdly, Paul says in this verse, He's not just sent via birth of a woman. He was also born under the law. Another significant phrase that we have to give our full attention to. It means that Jesus submitted to the very law of God that you and I are required to submit to. He didn't exercise divine privilege to escape responsibility. He didn't exercise His self-justification or He didn't try to skirt around the issue. And, And the reality is, He couldn't. He is actually the very embodiment of the law of God. The better reflection of God. And He had to submit to the very same responsibilities that you and I have under the law of God. And that is perfection or death. Paul talks about that extensively in the the book of Romans, especially in chapter 2 and chapter 3 and even into chapter 4 of our responsibility to the law. But what makes this text even more significant is not just that he is having to live under the responsibility of the law. It's coupled with the previous phrase, born of woman. He's having to live under the responsibility of the law as a man. As a man. 
subject to the same temptations we are subject to. Subject to the same failure we are subject to. Hebrews chapter 4 sheds even more light on this. Back to the book of Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 15, I believe it is. Yes, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He knew the, the obedience that was required. The effort that had to be put forth. The problem for us in regards to the responsibility of the law is that we couldn't keep it. And the law proved to be the very thing that condemned us. That's why Christ had to be born as a man. That's why Christ had to be born under the law so that He could keep it on our behalf. I want you to at least write down Romans chapter 8, verse 3 and 4 because it is one of the most glorious texts in all of Scripture. When we are weighed down with our complete uh, sinfulness in the, in, in the face of a holy God, we have Romans 8, verse 3 and 4. It says, God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending, there's the language again, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin He condemned sin in the flesh, verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Here's the reality. Those who get into heaven are those who have kept the law perfectly. And praise God that Christ has kept it perfectly on our behalf. That the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us and has been accredited to us because Christ was born under the law and kept it perfectly for us. In reality, His sacrifice would have been useless if He had not lived perfectly for us. If He had not been born as a man or born under the law. And the simple truth is we are righteous and accredited as righteous only because He was born under the law and kept it for us. Fundamentally important. Second thing from this text, real quick in verse 5, is the purpose for which Christ was sent. Why was He born of woman? And why was He born under the law? We've been talking about this anyways, but Paul makes it explicitly clear here in verse 5 with twofold purpose. Again, there are many others, but in the context of this passage, we're just going to look at these two that Paul links to God sending forth His Son. He's saying He sent forth His Son in this manner, verse 5, to, preposition, at least that's what my wife tells me, to redeem those who were under the law. Redeem. Again, the law is the yoke that we cannot bear. And it constantly weighs us down by pointing out our complete unrighteousness. The law is the reflection of the character of God. It's the standard by which all things are measured. And when we fail to meet up to the standard of the law, reality is we are failing to meet up to the standard of God. That's why in Romans 3.23, Paul would say, all have sinned and fall short of what? The glory of the law? The glory of God. Because when we fail in the law, we fail to measure up to that one ruler that measures us all. And that's God Himself. 
I was thinking this week, even if God is that ultimate good in the world, in the universe, and He is, then anybody who claims that I've been good enough to go to heaven have to measure themselves against God. And none of us are good like God. That's what the law points out. None of us are as we should be before God. We are measured. You will be measured. Romans again, chapter 2, chapter 3. You'll be measured in the last day against that law of God, against the character of God. And none of us will be found to stack up unless Christ has fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law on our behalf. And so Paul would write, and he would write it with joy, God sent forth His Son to redeem those of us who are under the yoke of the law, who can't measure up, who can't fulfill it, who can't be righteous, who can't stand on our own two feet. Christ came to stand for us. He came to succeed where we failed. In every area and in every way that we have failed, Christ lived perfectly that you might be seen as perfect. You realize one of the great benefits of our salvation is that God looks at us as He looks as at His only Son. Perfect. Righteous. Obedient. Pure. Whole. Holy. That's because Christ was born of woman, born under the law, to redeem us under the law. I want to talk a little bit real quickly about that word redeem. Because it's a significant word. It's, in my mind, even greater than words like restore. Because restore implies a former glory. Redeem is more of assigning value to something that's worthless. The dictionary says it means to obtain release from captivity or to make up for. Both of which are true in God's redemption of us. He redeems us from our captivity and gives us value. And He makes up for where we are lacking, which gives us value. And the simple truth of what Paul is saying there in the word redeemed is that Jesus hasn't come to make you a better you. He's come to conquer you and make you new. To succeed where we have failed. To make up where we fall short. This is what Christ has come to do. This is why He was sent. For the expressed purpose of making up where we have lacked that we might be with God. Well, there's a second purpose mentioned in verse 5. I kind of redundantly call it the reason for the purpose. He says he's, He came, He was sent to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. Christ was sent to redeem you that you might be adopted into the family of God. What a, what a glorious truth. Notice the word receive there. This is a gift. Not something that can be earned. It's not something that can be bought. It's only for those who are redeemed. And if you are redeemed, it is yours. Secure, firm, and established. It's as much a gift as your own justification or, or forgiveness is. And it means that we have been brought into the family of God by what? The good and gracious pleasure of God. Nothing in this text indicates our own ability. 
Nothing in this text indicates our own doing. It is all God's doing. The whole language, the whole uh, context of it lends itself to that. God sent His Son in this fashion to redeem us so that He could adopt us. I think it was Doug on Sunday night. If it, if it wasn't, I'll give you credit, Doug. Anyways, um, when someone is adopted, they don't get to pick their parents. The parents pick them. Is that you? It's a tremendous truth. We are chosen by God. He has taken the initiative. He has sent His Son. He has sent His Son in such humble fashion that He might choose us as His children. Well, that leads us into real quickly the difference this morning in verse 6 and verse 7 because the adoption is part of the difference that Christ was sent to bring about in our lives. And here it is. If, if you are redeemed, there is a difference that's going to be taking place. Paul says he was sent to bring about these things, which is a complete change of our former nature before Christ. I thought of Ephesians chapter 2, which talks about our former life before Christ in verses 1, 2, and 3. Paul says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, uh, that's Satan, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. You were living in the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. You were by nature children of wrath, but then in Galatians 4, there's something different for those who are redeemed. They're no longer Colossians 1, hostile in mind and, and doing evil deeds. There's a change that's brought about. The first change, he mentions four here, the first change is that adoption. It's, it's a belonging. You realize that before Christ, we were following the prince of the power of the air. We were as shifted around as the wind blows leaves. We were orphans in the world. We had no home. We were wanderers with no direction, no purpose, and no final rest. We had nothing to belong to and no one to belong to. We were helpless, poor, pitiful, broken, blind. And Christ was sent to adopt us. Unworthy, the undesirables, nothing to offer, no, nothing to contribute. We didn't contribute to the glory of God, the financial stature of God, the ability of God. We were helpless orphans whom God loved, so He sent His Son in the most humble of fashions to do the unthinkable. Die on a cross to redeem us that we could be His children. You know how many people in the world today, and you know how many Christians get caught up in this same thinking of looking for some place to belong to? Caving to peer pressure that they might fit in? Identifying with groups and things just so that they might have some kind of connection with someone? We are in the family of God. You belong to the greatest family that anyone will ever belong to. And it's a family of eternity. I don't know what your family life is like. We all have broken family lives because we're all sinful, depraved people. Here's a family that will one day be made perfect and dwell together for eternity. Embrace your adoption. Christ was sent to make a difference. The first difference is 
He gives you someone to belong to. A heavenly, perfect, glorious Father. Second, the difference He brings about is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I call this in verse 6, the second sent. Because because we're adopted now, because Christ has come and redeemed us, verse 6, you are sons, because we're sons, God has, here's the language again, sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. These hearts that were dead, corrupted, broken, shattered, unworthy, undesirable, now are the dwelling places of the Spirit of the Son of God. And again, we take this word and we stand and rest upon it that He was sent, again meaning initiative, again meaning authority, again meaning desire. God desired, planned, and executed His plan to send His Spirit into our hearts. We had no direction, no eyes to see, no heart beating, nothing alive within us. And then all of a sudden, when we are born again in Christ, we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit of God. We are made alive. We're given direction. We're given hope and joy and peace and faith and love and all the fruits of the Spirit. We are made new. That's the difference brought about. Thirdly, we are given complete and total access. This Spirit that's been sent into our hearts is crying out for us, Abba, Father. It's, it's a very intimate term. Most people will translate it and say it's the equivalent of dad or daddy. I think that's true and accurate. I struggle with it because I want to maintain some reverence here but but that's the concept of what paul is saying you are able to approach god on the most intimate of basis and the most intimate of of terms and relationships if if the difference has occurred in you if you've been redeemed i got to thinking about this being a new dad and you know what i spend most of my time at home doing looking my seven month old daughter in the face and going say dad dad Say, Dada. It's because we want her to say that. We want her to have that intimate relationship. That terminology, if you had a dad growing up that was a godly man or a good dad, that terminology is special to you. It means security and it means protection and provision and love and nearness. We want Emberly to think of me that way. We work so that she will think of me that way. God wants us to be able to call Him Dad. To address Him on the most intimate of terms and intimate of levels. That, that also carries much privilege with it, doesn't it? Emberly has greater privilege than anyone else in this life except for Jamie. In my, my world, my realm. Complete and total access. Complete benefit of everything that I have to offer her. Everything that I can lavish upon her and give her and everything that I can teach her and, and everything I can do for her. It, it's all hers because she can address me as dad. God has sent His Son 
to make the difference in us so that we would no longer be enemies of God. We would now be children of God who have complete access to Him. In fact, again, Hebrews chapter 4 tells us, exercise that privilege. Draw near to the throne of grace. Do it. Don't pass up on it. Don't ignore it. Take full advantage of the privilege and the difference that Christ brings about. All right, finally, real quick. Verse 7. The fourth difference we find in this text is a difference of identity. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir. Your whole identity is moved. How, how particularly important is this in our day and age? We live in a world of identity confusion. A world who, who doesn't know itself, doesn't know its direction, full of people who question themselves and have no idea what their purpose is, their direction is, who they are, whether that be in their personality, whether that be sexually. We are in the middle of an identity crisis. And one of the benefits of God sending His Son is that your identity is changed and you can know who you are in God. You're no longer a slave of the world. You're no longer a slave of sin. You're no longer captive. But the liberty has been proclaimed. You are now a child. And if a child an heir... You get to be with your Father in eternity and inherit His kingdom, inherit His eternity, inherit His love and all of His provisions, inherit Himself. We're no longer slaves. In fact, in verse 1, 2, and 3, Paul's kind of been using this slave language and contrasting slaves and children. We're no longer even just children. We're sons. And daughters and heirs. It's a great lesson for us to know today and to rest upon. What a significant difference. Nobody brings a difference in the lives of humanity or in the history of the world like this except Jesus. Nobody can touch your heart. Nobody can can adopt you into an eternal family. Nobody can send the Spirit of God into your heart. Nobody can give you complete and total access to, to God. And nobody can change your identity except for Christ. Jesus was sent to make a difference in your life. So we celebrate the birth of our Lord and we, we sing about His coming and, and the love that He He's shown to us in His coming. We, we do celebrate all those things, but I hope and I pray we think about all of the differences He's brought about for us. And all of the blessings and benefits He's given to us. We only belong to the family of God because Jesus was sent. And we rejoice in that. We only have the Holy Spirit in our lives because Jesus was sent. We only have freedom from the law. And we only have complete access to the Father. And we only have a new identity, a concrete identity as a child of the living God because Jesus was sent born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. And I pray and I hope that this will be a concrete motivation for us as we celebrate this year the birth of our Lord and look at the whole reason for His coming to earth. He was sent to accomplish a mission and that mission was to make you new. And that is why we praise Him. For this newness only belongs to those who are redeemed. Which means this newness and this difference is only belonging to those who place their faith in Jesus.
You see, Paul talked about the law again in Philippians chapter 3, and he talked about and alluded to his previous life where he tried to, to make this difference happen by keeping the law, doing a bunch of good things. And he said, I never could do it. I had to let Christ do it for me. Stop trusting in yourself to make, make yourself good enough to get into heaven and start trusting in his, the Son of God sent for our redemption that we might have these things brought about in our hearts. Lord, we are humbled by what You have come to do for us. It's such a, a glorious picture of Your love. The ultimate example and definition of love. That You would, you would lay aside all, all glory to enter into this creation that You have made to redeem sinners who have transgressed the law. You desired to redeem us because You desired to adopt us. Give us of Yourself. Give us of Your Spirit. Give us access to You. A privileged access. And to change who we are at our very core. Lord, I feel like we could be spending weeks and weeks upon the very concrete truth that we're no longer slaves but children. We have such an identity crisis. And You were sent to make sure we knew who we were in You. To redeem us from our fallen state. To make up for where we have failed. Thank You, O Lord. Thank You for Your birth and the difference that You desire to bring about in our lives. May we yield to You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.